Lindsay, which just came out this year, starring Lily James. It's a story about a simple group of folk who endured the Nazi occupation of their island, Guernsey, during World War II. And the way that they endured this horrible time was to form a book reading club. One of the members of that club was arrested by the Germans and taken away, and no one heard anything about them for years, about that person. The movie set is set in 1946, and, and so now they get word and discover that the person who was taken away by the Germans was actually placed in a concentration camp and then died tried to saving, trying to save someone else. And it became the responsibility of one of the leaders in the group to go to the young four-year-old daughter that this woman had left behind and tell her the sad news that although she had been waiting for a long time, her whole lifetime, her mother would never be coming home. Another member of the group, while watching the scene as this man tells the little girl, said, She's only four. What can she understand? To which an older member of the group, Amelia, who was devastated by the loss of this young woman who died in a German concentration camp with tears in her eyes, said, I'm older than time. And I don't understand. I understand nothing. And as I saw that scene, I thought how common that is of the cry of the human heart when tragedy touches our souls. That even if we've walked with Jesus for many, many years, we find ourselves saying, I know nothing. Life is filled with mysteries, but has few, relatively few answers. And I think that's why God gave us the book of Job. Let me encourage you to turn to the book of Job this morning as we have the opportunity to study this wonderful portion of scripture, the book of Job. We have a logo here to show you that is going to be kind of reminiscent of the whole series and uh, focus on the fact that the book of Job is all about suffering, but not just suffering, it's the innocent suffering. Someone in our church heard that I was going to do a study on the book of Job and they wrote me a little note and this is what they said. Let me tell you what the book of Job says to me. It tells me that the God of the universe, for purposes of his own, allows the enemy to do bad things to good people. And when we try to guess why, we usually jump to the wrong conclusions. That's a great assessment of the whole book of Job. When we try to guess why, we don't always have the facts. And we often jump to the wrong conclusions. The book of Job is a skillfully compiled epic poem. Someone said this book is a book of uncommon genius, a magnificent argument with beauty of style. Indeed, written by someone who is gifted and skillful, the master display of poetic art in this book of Job. 
We often think of it as a book only about negative things, and so we avoid it when there is such health and blessing for us to find in it. Job probably lived during the patriarchal age, although it's difficult to know. I think the best place to pin his life and his story is probably after the Tower of Babel in chapter 10 uh, of Genesis, but before you get into the story of Abraham in chapter 12. So somewhere in that period of time. Indeed, he's a man who lives in the East. But remember this, Job did not write the book. The book is written about him. He's pre-Hebrew. But the one who wrote the book is a Hebrew. It could have been Moses, could have been Solomon, could have been almost anyone. But it was a book put together intentionally with a specific purpose. And that to bless us. By the way, Job really lived. He's not a figment of our imagination. He's mentioned in the book of Ezekiel along with Noah and Daniel. And in the book of James in the New Testament, chapter 5, we read these words. You remember the patience of Job, don't you? How in the end, finally, God brought about his perfect will. And so Job is a real person with a real story. And it touches so many people who are in this auditorium today. Righteous people. Good people. Suffering, not for their own sin. But they cannot find out why. Job will help us. Paul quotes the book of Job a couple times. Romans 11, 1 Corinthians 3. And if I were going to outline the book, and we'll come back to this again another time, but maybe the best way to do it is to think of prologue, the first three chapters where we get the story and the basic facts about what's going to take place. And then dialogue, that goes from chapter 3 all the way to chapter 27, where Job is arguing with his three friends. That's most of the book. Then monologue. Where we hear from God and we hear from Job in messages that are not really interactive, but just declaring questions in God. And then finally there is the epilogue, and that's where God has the last word. The first word gives us the story, and then the debate, a bunch of angry words... And even before the debate, we get some heavenly words, which we're going to look at this morning. And then finally, the last word, as it should, comes from God Almighty himself. This book is profound. Amazingly profound. It is a book that is insightful. It is practical. And it is painful. So let's jump into the story. If you have your Bibles, make sure you're open to Job chapter 1. You can also see the verses on the screen. And it starts out with a man who lived in Uz. That almost sounds like a fairy tale, doesn't it? You think of Oz, but it's Uz. We don't know exactly where it is, but it was a real place. The scripture tells us that this man was blameless and upright. He feared God. And shunned evil. Now the word blameless means that he is whole or complete. Uh, It it means that 
He's not done anything wrong that he hasn't made right. No one can point the finger and blame him because he's tried to set everything right. And the word upright means straight. It has reference to a standard by which one is measured. And he is not crooked or deviant, but straight. So this guy is complete and he is straight. Primarily referring to his relationships with other people. But notice the next or last part of the verse emphasizes the reason, the secret for this completeness and this straightness. He was a man who feared God. That was the basic soul of his heart. He feared the Lord and he shunned evil. By the way, those two go together. Fearing the Lord draws you to him. And when you're drawn to the Lord, you are repelled by anything that is evil. It's kind of like the old marriage language, the leaving and cleaving. (laughs) When you cleave to the Lord, you leave your other life. When you turn by faith to follow Christ, you repent and leave all your dead works and all your foreign gods. That's what it is to fear the Lord. He becomes supreme. He becomes number one. And later on in the book, in this beautiful poem that Job gives, which we call Job chapter 28, verse 28, he simply says this, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to shun evil is understanding. So the character that he lives every day is the message that he proclaims on a regular basis. This guy is pretty amazing. Now Julie met a, read a moment ago how he was filled with abundant blessings. He was a man of unbelievable prosperity. And in that day prosperity was seen basically in three ways. It was seen in your family, it was seen in your livestock, and it was seen in your servants. Well he had ten kids and they got along really well. That's a blessing. They used to have celebrations at each other's house on a regular basis. He had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camel, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys. And to keep all that going, he had a large number of servants, so large you can't even uh, put the number down. This man indeed is richly blessed. But you go beyond his physical prosperity to his spiritual life. We already said that he feared the Lord. That's the idea of commitment and devotion to God alone. But his spirituality also affected his family. Notice down in verse 4, his sons used to take turns holding feasts in their homes. They would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when a period of fasting had run its course, Job would send to have them purified. He'd have sacrifices made, not because they were sinning, but just in case they did. This was just a a safeguard, a measure that Job instituted on a regular basis because the scripture says this was his regular custom. So you have this guy Job concerned and consistent. He's fearing God, he's loving his family, and he's following the plan that was given in that day. And here's another reason why we have an indicator as far as the time goes He was offering sacrifices on behalf of his family to purify them. 
So Job indeed is a godly man. That's why it says in verse 3, he was the greatest man among all the people of the east. Greatest in goods that he owned and greatest in character that he displayed. Prosperous and spiritual. You know, the Bible tells us in the New Testament that Paul was the chief of sinners. Remember that statement? And here we're told that Job is the greatest of men. I think it's because Paul was the chief of sinners to show that if God can save him, he can save anybody. And Job is the greatest of men to show that if God can test him, he can test anybody. And once you begin to study the book of Job, you see that you're not alone in the difficulties that you face. It's comforting. Not that we're glad that other people are having problems. It's just good to know that you're not the only one. And that's why the book is here. Job has been set up as almost a perfect individual, although he is not. But he's a great man who's about ready to experience a great fall. Now the scriptures tell us that Job himself didn't know what was going on. The scene shifts from earth to heaven. And when we get to heaven, we read that one day, verse 6, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came. That's interesting. I don't know, this must have been a a regular meeting where the angels come to give a report on what they have been doing and to interact with the one who is giving them all the directions. But among the angels comes one of the most notable, one of the most powerful, the fallen angel whose name is Satan. By the way, the name Satan means accuser. And that's exactly what he does. His primary task is to slander you and accuse you. And that's what he's going to do to Job. His ultimate goal is to destroy you. And so he comes into the presence of God. And there in the presence of God, they have a discussion. The Lord says to Satan, where have you come from? (laughs) I love it when God asks questions. It's not because he's ignorant, right? Anytime God asks a question, it's never to gain information. He already knows. So why ask the question? It's like a teacher in a school. It's a test. So when she says, Johnny, tell me the capital of Michigan, even though he lives there, he can't tell you the capital. Because Johnny hasn't been studying. The teacher knows the capital. It would be imprudent for Johnny to say to the teacher, don't you know? Of course I know. I'm asking you to see if you know. And so this is a test. God, when he asks questions, is beginning to pull out of us who we are, what we do, what we think. And so he says to the devil, where have you come from? And the response of the devil is quite interesting. From roaming through the earth. I thought the devil was the king of hell. No, he's never been there. Doesn't want to go there. And won't arrive until the very last judgment. He's the prince of the power of the what? Of the air. 
And he works among the sons of disobedience and he spends his time roaming the earth. Now he's not omnipresent, but he has a lot of demons who work with him and they're well organized throughout the whole earth to do his bidding. But he's roaming throughout the earth. Why? To see whom he can accuse and looking for someone to destroy. The devil is restless and he will never find peace because he, was reject he has rejected the Prince of Peace. So he's always on the move and never settled. He's going back and forth throughout the whole earth looking, hoping to find someone that he can deceive. So God says to him, have you considered my servant Job? What about Job? Have you examined him? Have you seen him in your journeys? Have you noticed him? I'm sure you have. He's the greatest person on the face of the earth, or at least throughout all the east. What about Job? And the devil's response is, well, yeah, I've seen Job. Does Job fear God for nothing? I mean, this whole act of being a godly person is simply because he serves you for what he can get from you. And I'm afraid, my friend, that the devil is often right when he says of Christians they serve God for what they can get from God. Because when what they can get from God is taken away from them, they've had enough of God. That's a severe test, is it not? Why do you worship? Why do you come and sing his praises? It's not that you don't get some blessings. And there's much in the Bible that says those who diligently seek him, he will reward. But if our motive is simply to get something from God, where's the love? And where's the worship? So the devil knew the button to push. And he's the one who said, yeah, he's self-serving. That's why he's here. You put a hedge about him. You've ever heard, maybe you've heard that phrase, a hedge of protection. This is where it comes from. God does protect his people. There is a hedge. There is a wall. The Psalms tell us over and over again, he is our refuge. It's like a fortress with stone walls all the way around. God is our dwelling place. He is our safe place. And he protects us with a hedge. So the devil said, well, that's, that's why he's serving you. He serves you for what he can get from you. And you've got him all locked up. And I can't even get to him. And so, Job even, devil even acknowledges that Job's blessings come from the Lord. It's not his own goodness. It's your blessing. It's your protection. You're the one that is keeping him to yourself. But stretch now your hand. Put your hand out. And when you do, when you take away all of his blessings, he will curse you to your face. And this is the blasphemy of the devil. He thinks that every person who names the name of Christ is a hypocrite. Maybe that's why we're being tested to see if our gold is genuine. Peter says that. To refine the dross and purify the gold and to prove that we are genuine. 
God, you stretch forth your hand and you touch him and his response will be to curse you. And these are some of the most chilling words in all of the Bible. Do you see them? God said, very well then. And he gives permission to the evil one. It's a bold challenge. It's like a cosmic wager. And God responds in the affirmative. Well, when the devil tempted Jesus, Jesus answered all the time, no, it is written, it is written. Now it seems as though God caves in. Very well, devil. Have your way. And I have to tell you, in all my study of the book of Job, this is what hurts the most. When God gives the green light to the devil. You say, why does he do that? I can only answer in part that we're living in a fallen world. And his ways are not our ways. And we don't understand his thinking. And that's why the book of Job comes in to help us, even though it doesn't always give us the answers. But it gives us the truth. And then the Lord says this, everything Job has is in your hands, except don't lay a finger on him. And then the devil went out. From the presence of the Lord. To do his wicked deed. I won't read all of the verses from verse 13 all the way down to verse 19. But the story is outrageous disaster. Job's sons and daughters are feasting in one of the houses. And the Sabians come and and they steal away the livestock, the oxen. Slaughter some of the servants. Verse 16, there's the fire of God that falls from heaven. Maybe lightning. And and that strikes the sheep and some more servants and they die. And then the Chaldeans come. Again, another indicator as far as the time period in the Old Testament. And they form three raiding parties and come and take the camels. And while these reporters are coming back and speaking, it's wave after wave after wave. Have you ever said when it rains it pours? Wow, this is it. One messenger can't even finish his horrible news without someone else coming. And the the last is the worst. Verse 19, suddenly there was a mighty wind that swept in. And the very house where his kids were feasting fell to the ground. And they were all dead. And I'm the only one here to tell you. And who did this? That's the hard part. But verse 20 is one of the most amazing verses in all the scripture as well. For in verse 20, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head, which is indicative of humility and repentance. Stripped of everything that he would naturally lean upon for encouragement. Here's a man with amazing faith and fortitude. And he stands up 
and takes the posture of submission and humility and brokenness before God. But then the scripture says he falls down on the ground to worship. I wonder how many of us have as our first reaction to trial, worship. Let me remind you, Job didn't know what you and I know. That Satan and God had a conference. He didn't know that the wager was made and accepted. He had to live upon this earth with a curtain between him and heaven. Not knowing. Except that all he tried to do was fear God and love his kids. And one day. The worst possible disasters came and he lost everything. Almost everything. God gave permission. But God also gave limitation. Did you catch that? Everything is has, has is yours but don't lay a finger on him. And the devil did his horrible work. You may say to me, Pastor, why is God allowing me to suffer? I can honestly answer in so many specifics. I don't know. Oh, I can give you some general ones. And, and we're going to pick up some of those in the book of Job. But here's an important one. This book suggests that your suffering has meaning and value and purpose. Even though you don't get it. What did Job just do? By worshiping, he proved that Satan was a liar. He'll curse you to your face, Satan said. And Job fell to the ground and worshiped. Wouldn't you like your life to be a constant rebuke to the blasphemy of the devil? And then we have those famous words where Job says, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will return. I came with nothing, I go out with nothing. The Lord gives and the Lord what? Who takes away? The Lord. I thought it was the devil who sent all of those things. And this is where it gets a little confusing sometimes. Hudson Taylor, once struggling over this whole idea of trials, wrote a, an article called Blessed Adversity. Talk about an oxymoron. Someone said the secret to Hudson Taylor's rest of heart in the midst of great trials was, the, was this. He refused to look at second causes. This is what he said in the article. Even Satan did not presume to ask God to be allowed himself to afflict Job. He says, put your hand forth, Lord, and touch him, and he will curse you to your face. Satan knew that none but God could touch Job. And when Satan was permitted to afflict Job, Job was quite right in recognizing the Lord as the doer of the deed. The Lord gives, the Lord takes. 
Oftentimes we will be helped if we remember that Satan is a servant and not a master and that he and wicked men incited by him are only permitted to do that which God by his determinate counsel and foreknowledge has determined shall be done. Come joy or sorrow, we may always take it from the hand of a loving God. How the tendency to resentment, Taylor says, and wrong feeling would be removed. Could we take an injury... From the hand of a loving father. Instead of chiefly looking at the agent through whom it comes to us. It matters not who is the postman. It is the letter of the writer that we are concerned with. It matters not who is the messenger. It is God that his children have to do. There are no second causes, Job says. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And then... Get this, blessed be the name of the Lord. May the Lord's name be honored and praised. And the final verse of chapter 1 said that Job did not sin in charging God with wrongdoing. Did you know it's wrong to charge God with wrong? That it is sin to accuse the holy, just, righteous God of heaven to ever do something untowards? Now granted, his system is far different from ours, but he is God and he is good and he is loving and he is kind. In the end, we either bless him or blame him. In every trial we face, we either bless him or blame him. And when we blame him, we fail the test. And when we bless him, we finally begin to grow. So let's put it this way. In all of our trials, remember this. God has not forgotten you. He knows exactly what's happening. Because he's allowed it. Now that doesn't mean that God's the author of sin. It doesn't mean that God encourages Satan. God uses the wickedness of man to praise him. Best example in the world is the cross. But God has not forgotten you. And Satan is not in control. He's servant, not master. And things are not as they appear. And when you put your faith and trust in him, you will not be crushed. Because the key verse to the entire book of Job is one of help and blessing. His goal is to bring us to the place of worship. Our trials are designed to put us on our knees before a holy God. And that's what the key verse says. He knows the way I take. And when he has tried me, I shall come forth as what? Gold. He knows my way. He tries my faith. And when he is done, blessing will abound. This is going to be an exciting study. This is going to be a lousy study. <laughs> a hard study. I'm afraid 
to study it. But in the midst of the fact that God is a loving God who loves us and wants the best for us. We're already going through this junk. We better try to get a handle on it. And learn in all of our days to praise his ways. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Open our eyes that we might see the heavenly counsels. You on the throne. That you are a God who does whatever he pleases. And your way is always right. That you are the one who sees the end from the beginning. And from ancient times the things that are not yet done. Saying my counsel will stand. And if we could see as you can see. We would understand. But we can't. And we often cry out I know nothing. Except this. God is great. And God is good. And on that, we will bless your name. Amen.